we're called to reach out to those who are lost. If you have your Bibles, turn, if you will, to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. We want to this morning look at verses 18 through 32. If you need to use your Bible in your chair, it's page 1036. 1036, but Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. As you know, we are celebrating the 4th of July this week, and instead of doing James, we've been going through the book of James. I want to suspend that for a Sunday, and I want to look at a very difficult topic this morning, and I've entitled this message, America, a nation under God's wrath, and what can the church do about it? I have to admit this is a tough message, and I really don't delight in giving this message, but it's a message that needs to be addressed because all of us would concur that America is falling apart at the seams. Even those in the non-believing world are asking the question, what is going on with our country? And you know, as I get older, I become more concerned about our nation. You know, when you're younger, you're footloose and fancy free, and you're kind of doing your own thing. But as you get older, you take more of a vested interest in the state of the country in which you live, and in our case, America. And partly because we've matured emotionally, mentally, and spiritually, but we're also concerned about the nation that our children and our grandchildren are going to be living in. I think all of us understand that Christianity was somewhat founded, or I should say America was somewhat founded on Christianity. Even though not everybody was a Christian in this nation at its inception, we would agree that a Judeo-Christian value permeated our country. And what we have seen in the last 60 to 70 years is a spiritual and moral declension that has happened in our nation. We went from being a Christian nation to a post-Christian nation, and now we seem to be entering into the phase of an anti-Christian nation. And so people are asking, what's happening to our country? What is going on? And the answer biblically is America is under God's wrath. Now, when the Bible talks about God's wrath, it uses it in different ways. For example, the Bible talks about God's cataclysmic wrath. Cataclysmic wrath is that wrath where God basically destroys a nation. We see that with Sodom and Gomorrah. Then there is what is called sowing and reaping wrath. This is mentioned in Galatians chapter 6, where God has built into the fabric of human decision a law, just like gravity, it is a moral law of sowing and reaping. You reap what you sow. Then the Bible talks about God's eternal wrath. This is mentioned in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, and this deals with the idea of a person who rejects Jesus Christ and dies without Christ is going to be eternally separated from God. But there's one final wrath that the Bible talks about, and this is what is called abandoning wrath. Abandoning wrath is when God gives an individual or a nation over to its sin and he removes his protective restraint and he allows that nation or that individual to experience his judgment. And that's exactly what Romans chapter 1 verses 18 through 32 is talking about. It is talking about God's abandoning wrath. 
And that's exactly what America is experiencing right now. The reason why you see things falling apart at the seams, the reason why you see the moral chaos, you see people making decisions and you scratch your head asking the question, why are people doing what they're doing? The reason why Romans chapter 1 says is America is under God's abandoning wrath. Now remember in Romans, Paul is giving the good news of the gospel. That is the theme of the book of Romans. And what he does in chapters 1 through 3 is he talks about man's problem. And he basically says that man is a sinner in chapters 1 through 3. And he gives three categories of people that are under sin. Because if you're going to give the good news of the gospel, you got to start with the bad news first. And here's the bad news. He says Gentiles, Romans chapter 1, are under sin. Then he says in chapter 2, all Jewish people are under sin. And then in chapter 3, as he sums up the bad news, he says the whole world is under sin and under the judgment of God. That's the bad news in chapters 1 through 3 of Romans. Then, beginning in chapters 3 and 4 of Romans, Paul gives us the good news. And he basically gives us the gospel of how we can be delivered from our problem. Now, as we look at our text this morning in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32, the Apostle Paul is dealing with the bad news of Gentiles, <clears throat> that is, non Jewish people, that are under the judgment of God. And what he does for us here is he gives us, <clears throat> excuse me, allergies, he gives us three steps that lead to the wrath of God. He gives us three steps that lead to moral and spiritual declension. And what these steps do is provide a template for all nations and all individuals <clears throat> who are struggling with the wrath of God. Let's look at step number one. This would be revelation. Revelation, thank you. Now notice <clears throat> Revelation here, God reveals himself to humanity in three ways, in three ways. First of all is through creation, through creation. Notice if you will in verses 18 through 20, it says this, for, the, for God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth, since what can be known about God is evident among them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, that is, His eternal power <clears throat> and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world being understood through what has been made. As a result, people are without excuse." <clears throat> Excuse me this morning, I <clears throat> allergies are bad. <clears throat> All right, God reveals himself in this text in three ways. Number one is through creation. Now, when people look at creation, they know that there is a God. Instinctively, they know this. And the question is this, how do people know that creation points to a creator? Well, number one, the law of causality. The law of causality is the law of cause and effect. And here is what the law of causality says. Everything that begins to exist 
has a cause. Since the universe began to exist, we know that someone caused it. For example, this pulpit began to exist at a point in time. Someone made this pulpit. It just didn't come into existence out of nothing. And because it came to exist at a point in time, therefore, someone caused this pulpit. It's the same with the universe. People look at creation, and they know it points back to a creator. In fact, Hank Hanegraaff says this, Imagine suggesting that Christopher Wren had nothing whatsoever to do with the design of St. Paul's Cathedral in London. In other words, a building requires a builder. He goes on to say, imagine that the majestic Messiah composed itself apart from Handel. In other words, music requires a musician. Or he says, imagine that the Last Supper painted itself without Leonardo da Vinci. In other words, a painter, painting requires a painter. And so the point is this, the law of causality says this, creation requires a creator. Creation points to the fact that God created the universe. Now, what atheistic evolution wants us to say, uh, believe today <clears throat> is that basically evolution created everything. Nobody times nothing equals everything. That's what atheistic evolution wants us to believe. But God has shown us that through creation, it requires a creator. That is the law of causality. There's another thing that points us back to the fact that God is the creator, not only the law of causality, but the law of design, the law of design. In other words, what this is saying is that the earth is designed or it is fine-tuned for life to exist, therefore someone designed it. In other words, design demands a designer. God is the one who designed this universe. In fact, scientists know now that there are about 120 things that must be true in order for life to exist on this planet. For example, we know that the earth is situated exactly where it needs to be situated. If it was any farther from the sun, we would be a Wendy's Frosty. On the other hand, if it was any closer to the sun, we would be a Wendy's French fry. You see, that is one of the anthropic constants that is on this earth. There's 120 things that must be true in order for life to exist on this planet. Or take, for example, Mount Rushmore. Mount Rushmore is clearly designed. You and I would not say that natural causes design the faces at Mount Rushmore. You can't say that millions of years of wind, of sun, of erosion produce the design on the faces at Mount Rushmore. No, you would say that the design on those uh, rocks was produced by a designer. And so it is when you look at creation. Creation points back to a creator. How do I know that? Because number one, the law of causality. The law of causality says this, everything that begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist, therefore someone had to cause the universe. That's the law of causality. And by the way, all scientists now agree that the universe had a beginning point. There used to be a time when scientists believed that the earth was eternal, that it always had existed. But all scientists now, whether Christian or non-Christian, believe that the universe had a beginning point. And everything that begins to exist, there has to be a cause. Now, people often argue with me and they'll say, well, where did God come from then? If everything requires a cause, where did God come from? And the answer is God was not caused. 
He is the only uncaused cause. God is self-existent. Remember what I said, everything that begins to exist has a cause. God did not begin to exist, therefore no one caused God. And so God, first of all, in the first step of God judging an individual or a nation is God reveals himself to mankind. And the first way that God reveals himself to mankind is through creation. Creation points back to a creator. People instinctively know that God made this universe. That's why there are no atheists. When I often debate atheists, I will tell them there really are no atheists because as we're going to see, atheists suppress the truth. They know instinctively by looking at the universe that there had to be some creator or some designer that made it all, but what they do is they inevitably suppress that information. So God has revealed himself, first of all, through creation. The second way God has revealed himself is through conscience. Notice, if you will, Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, he says this, For when Gentiles who do not have the law instinctively perform the requirements of the law, these, though not having the law, are a law to themselves, in that they show the work of the law written on their hearts, their conscience testifying, and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. What is he saying here? He's saying Jewish people have the law of God, but when you take pagan Gentiles who do not have the Bible or the Old Testament, they have a law written on their heart. It's called the law of conscience. And so even though they don't have the Bible, they know instinctively right from wrong. And so here's kind of another law. When you have a moral law, that demands a moral lawgiver. Creation demands a creator. The design in the universe demands a designer. And we would say here, moral law demands a moral lawgiver. And so non-believers who do not have the law of God, they know instinctively right from wrong. How do they know that? Their conscience God has stamped every single human being with a conscience. And so if you, live in the, if you live in the jungles of Africa and you've never heard about Jesus Christ, you don't have a copy of the Bible, you know that murder is wrong instinctively. You know that adultery is wrong instinctively. You know that lying, cheating, and stealing is wrong instinctively. Why? Because God has put a conscience in everyone's heart. And so God has revealed himself through creation. He has revealed himself through conscience. And there is another way that God has revealed himself, and we would say this, numbers three and four, I'm not going to have time to go over this, it would be through the Bible and Jesus Christ. Through the Bible and Jesus Christ. God has revealed himself, especially in America, we are privileged not only to know about God through creation and conscience, but we know about God through the Bible and through Jesus Christ. And so if we were to sum up God's revelation... There are four ways that God has revealed himself. Through creation and conscience, that is called by theologians general revelation. Why is it called general revelation? It's available to everyone. Whether you live in America or whether you live in Africa, whether you live in Asia, whether you live in the remotest parts of the jungle, you have access to general revelation. It's available to all. Now listen, general revelation is not enough to save you, but it is enough to damn you. Let me say that again. It's not enough to save you. To know about God by looking at creation and to know right from wrong in your conscience is to know that God exists. 
It's not enough to save you, but it is enough to damn you. Then there is special revelation. That is through the Bible in Jesus Christ. Special revelation is not available to everyone. Now, most of the world, because of technology today, has access to the Bible and Jesus Christ. But listen, there are still many unreached people groups around the world that do not know about Jesus Christ, have never heard of His name, and they don't have a copy of the Bible. By the way, the more revelation you have, the more accountable you are. The more revelation you have, the more accountable you are. So listen, America is a privileged nation. As we celebrate the 4th this Tuesday, we have to remember that we're a privileged nation. Why? Because we have access to creation, conscience, and the Bible and Jesus Christ. We have ad infinitum number of teachers that are on the radio, on television. We have access to books. We have Bibles in multiple translations. Listen, we are a blessed nation. To whom much is given, the Bible says much is required. And so when you want to look at the first step to God's wrath, when God abandons a nation to its sin, the first step is revelation. God reveals himself to that nation or to an individual. What's the second step? We'll call this rejection. Rejection. Man rejects God's revelation through creation, through conscience, through the Bible and Jesus Christ. Go back to Romans chapter 1. Paul tells us how man rejects God's revelation. Notice verse 18 of Romans chapter 1. He says, For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness. Now, godlessness would refer to the attitude. Unrighteousness would refer to the behavior. And he's saying God's wrath, this is his abandoning wrath, And the Greek says this, is continually revealed from heaven. In other words, it's a time capsule. It happens gradually. His wrath is revealed against all the godlessness and unrighteousness of people, here it is, who suppress their unrighteousness by suppressing the truth. There it is right there. They suppress the truth. They know the truth, but they suppress it. Notice verse 21 of Romans chapter 1. For though they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God or show gratitude. See, right there, they did not glorify God. They suppressed and they rejected the truth. Notice, if you will, verse 28 of Romans chapter 1. And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, they suppressed the truth. And then in verse 32, he says this, although they know full well God's just sentence, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them. In other words, they know the truth, but rather than embrace the truth, what do they do? They suppress the truth and they continue in their ungodliness. And so four times it says here that basically they suppress the truth and they reject it. Think of it this way, four candles. You have four lights that God has given humanity. He's given humanity creation as a light to point to Him. He's given conscience as a light to point to Him that He's the moral lawgiver. He's also given the Bible and Jesus Christ to many people. And those are four lights, four witnesses that God has given to this country. And you know what mankind does? 
Blow out the light. That's what it means to suppress the truth. And in verse 20 of Romans chapter 1, it says that they are without excuse. Why are they without excuse? Because they know God exists and they know His righteous demands. Now, they don't understand all of it because some people don't have the Bible, but in this country, people know the truth because they've been exposed to it. And what do they do? They suppress it. They don't want anything to do with it, and he says they are without excuse. Often when I've debated people, they would say, you know what, I would believe in God if God gave me proof. And of course, I chuckle when I hear them say that because I want to say to them, and I often do say to them, what do you do with the creation that God has made? How much evidence or proof do you need? Some people would say, well, you know what, on the day of judgment when they stand before God, they're going to say, you know, Lord, if I only knew who you were, I would have been your greatest follower. And God's going to say, listen, I revealed myself to you through creation, through conscience. And of course, if you live in America, Jesus Christ in the Bible, and you know what, you chose to suppress that truth. Now you say, well, Mike, why do people suppress the truth? Let me tell you why. Number one, the Bible says we're sinners by nature and choice, and we have this natural antipathy towards God. That doesn't mean everybody's hostile towards God, but what it does mean is people don't want to surrender their lives to God because they love their sin, they love their selfishness, they are pleasure-seeking, and as a result, they don't want to submit their lives to God. And listen, all of us were in that state prior to coming to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And so we don't want to look down on those who are in that state, but that is the reason why people suppress the truth. And what happens is they suppress it through atheism. Well, God doesn't exist. Or agnosticism. Well, we don't know for sure whether or not God exists. Or you get people that invent a God made in their own image. They're religious, but what they do is they shape God in their own image, and what they engage in is idolatry. Because if we don't worship the God of the Bible the way God has defined Himself, that is called idolatry. And so that's how people reject the truth. And so Romans chapter 1 gives us a template for all nations or all individuals. And there are three steps to that moral and spiritual declension. Step number one, God reveals himself to mankind through general revelation, through special revelation. And then the second step is man rejects that revelation of God and says, I don't want anything to do with that. And that rejection comes in different forms. Sometimes it's very hostile. So you get atheist organizations, and sometimes that rejection is very passive and it's very subtle. They talk about God, but they worship a God, not the God of the Bible. There's a third and final step that takes place when God gives a nation over to wrath, and that is this, relinquishment, relinquishment. In other words, what God does to a nation that has been given the truth, that turns its back on the truth, over a period of time, God will relinquish that nation to his abandoning wrath. Notice, if you will, chapter 1, verse 24 of Romans chapter 1. He says, therefore, God delivered them over. Let me say it again. God delivered them over. In fact, the Greek word there, to deliver over, means to give a prisoner over to be sentenced to go to jail. Notice, if you will, verse 26, this is why God delivered them over to degrading passions. 
Verse 28, and because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, here it is, God delivered them over to a worthless mind. Three times, he says, God gave them over. And so people ask the question, what is going on in America? Why are we seeing the moral and spiritual decay? Why are we seeing the rebellion? Why are people raising their fists and they're promoting their sin? Here's the reason why God has given America over to its sin. Remember what I said, there is cataclysmic wrath, there is sowing and reaping wrath, there is eternal wrath, and the final form of God's wrath is abandoning wrath. Now, I know some of you are saying, well, wait a minute, if God has abandoned America, does that mean that God is no longer working in this country? The answer is no. God is still working in our nation. Obviously, God is still working, and there is hope for our nation. But make no mistake about it, the reason why all of us see the problem in this country is because God has given us over to our sin. In fact, in Hosea chapter 4, verse 17, here is what God said of Israel. When Israel apostatized and turned her back on God, God sent her the prophets over and over and they would not listen. And finally, here's what God said to Israel. Ephraim, which is another name for Israel, is joined to idols... Leave them alone. Leave them alone. That's God's abandoning wrath. Now, what are, the, what are the fruits or what are the results of God giving a nation over to its sin? There are certain fruits and there are certain signs that you and I can see and know that God has given this nation over to its sin. In Romans chapter 1, he gives us some of these signs or some of these fruits that America has been turned over to its sin. Let me share them with you. Number one, ingratitude. Ingratitude is the first sign or fruit that we have been abandoned by God to his wrath. Look what he says in verse 21. For though they knew God, they neither glorified him as God or showed what? Say it out loud. Gratitude. The first sign that we have been turned over to our sins is you will have a nation that expresses ingratitude. In other words, they don't acknowledge God as the source. And you and I know that this country has been blessed historically. Yes, we're not a perfect nation. We have done some bad things in our nation. But overall, this country has been blessed materially by God. And you know what? Our country is no longer acknowledging God as the source of that. In fact, on Thanksgiving, we don't want to call it Thanksgiving anymore because if we call it Thanksgiving, we'd have to acknowledge the one who has given it to us, and so we call it Turkey Day. See, ingratitude is one of the signs that a country has been turned over to its sin by God. They don't acknowledge God as the source. Secondly is ignorance. This is another fruit or sign. Now, this is not educational ignorance. This would be moral or spiritual ignorance. Look what he says in verse 21. For though they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became nonsense, foolish, and their senseless minds, here it is, were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became what? Fools. The Greek word there is morano. We get the word moron. 
In other words, there are people that have PhDs that claim that they're wise. They embrace atheistic Darwinian evolution and they say, oh, we're so wise. And God says, no, you're a fool. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. But notice the spiritual and moral ignorance. What does he say? He says, their minds were darkened. And because, verse 28, they did not think worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over, here it is, to a worthless mind to do what is morally wrong. In other words, spiritual and moral ignorance means this. Now watch this. People cannot make proper moral judgments. You want to know why people are fighting for abortion? They cannot make proper moral judgments. You want to know why our culture is redefining marriage? They cannot make proper moral judgments. Why is it that people are parading their sin before the world? It is because God gives people over to a depraved mind that cannot make proper moral judgments. They call evil good and good evil. There's a third fruit or sign that we've been given over to our sin. Paul says it's idolatry. Idolatry. Claiming to be wise, verse 22, they became fools. And here it is. And exchanged, rather than worshiping God, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God, and here's the idolatry, for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. You say, Mike, we don't do that today. That's primitive idolatry. But listen, we have more sophisticated forms of idolatry today. But Paul says, look, when people turn their back on God's revelation, they suppress it, they reject it. God gives them over to their sin. And what you have is ingratitude. What you have is moral and spiritual ignorance. And thirdly, you have idolatry. They exchange the worship of the immortal God, the true God, and what happens is they turn to idolatry. Because he says in verse 25, they exchange the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served something created instead of their creator who is praised forever. Amen. And listen, God has made all of mankind incurably religious. Man will worship something, and if he doesn't worship the true God, you know what he'll do? He will turn to idolatry and he'll worship whatever he can, maybe even the worship of self, humanism. And listen, do we not see that in our culture today? People aren't acknowledging God. They're not giving him thanks. And what's happened is when you get a depraved mind, you turn to idolatry. And what are the sophisticated forms of idolatry today? It is money. It is fame. It is sex. It is all the things that our culture has to offer. That has replaced God. And listen, some of this can get into the church. It has gotten into the church. There's a fourth sign or fruit that God has abandoned us to his wrath, and that is immorality. Immorality. A sexual revolution. Whenever you see a sexual revolution take place, that is one of the indications that God has given a nation over to its sin. And he mentions two forms of sex in Romans chapter 1. Number one is heterosexual sex. Notice, if you will, verse 24 of Romans chapter 1. He says, therefore, God delivered them over in the cravings of their heart to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. Now listen, I don't need to expound on this. 
Sex is in everything. In fact, pornography is what keeps the internet afloat. It is a multi-billion dollar industry. Sex has pervaded everything in our culture. It's in movies. It's on sitcoms. It's in commercials. Listen, our culture is sex-saturated. But then he goes to another form of sex, not only heterosexual sex, but homosexual sex. Verse 26 and 27, he says this, This is why God delivered them over to degrading passions. What are the degrading passions? For even their females exchange natural relations for unnatural ones. That would be lesbianism. The males in the same way also left natural relations with females. God created sex, nothing wrong with it, it's good. But they exchanged natural relations with females and were inflamed in their lust for one another. Males committed shameless acts with males and received in their own person the appropriate penalty of their error. Homosexual sex. Now let me ask you a question. We just got done celebrating Gay Pride Month. And you know what's interesting? I watched a video they blocked out, but in some areas, not here, you have men parading themselves naked. And you know what? They get a free pass. In most places, if you and I did that, and hopefully you'll never do that, but in places where people do that, you get arrested for indecent exposure, they get a free pass. And listen, I want to say at the outset, God loves homosexuals. God desires their salvation. Christians should not hate homosexuals, but we don't approve of the lifestyle. And so when you see a nation that is given over to rampant heterosexual sex and homosexual sex, you know that nation has been turned over to its sin. It is under the wrath of God. And listen, is that not America? Do we not see that in our culture? There's a fifth sign or fruit that God has given a nation over to its sin, and that is indecency or depravity. Indecency or depravity. Notice what he says in verse 28. And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a worthless mind to do what is morally wrong. In other words, they can't do what is right because their mind is not functioning properly. And then notice the indecency or depravity in verse 29. They are filled, circle that word filled, with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, wickedness. They are full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, Boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. This is one of Paul's famous lists. But notice the indecency and depravity when it gets a hold of a culture, these sins will run amok. And that's exactly what we see in our country. Well, there's one more sign or fruit that a country has been given over to its sin. And we'll call this one incorrigibility or celebration. Incorrigibility or celebration. Notice verse 32. Although they know full well 
God's just sentence. They know instinctively what they're doing is wrong, and they know it's going to lead to God's judgment. They know that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. Incorrigibility. You know what? When we say a child is incorrigible, that means you cannot discipline them. They are stubborn. And you know what's going on in our culture? Incorrigibility. Not only do people know certain behavior is wrong, they keep doing it. That's the incorrigibility. And then they celebrate it. Yeah, you want an abortion? Yeah, let's kill as many kids as we can. We know homosexuality is wrong, but you know what we're going to do? We're going to have a parade. We know immorality is wrong, but we're going to put it on television. So what are the fruits or signs that we've been abandoned by God in terms of His wrath? Here they are. Ingratitude, ignorance, moral and spiritual, idolatry, immorality, indecency, and incorrigibility. Now, I told you at the outset, this is a tough message, but this is the state of our nation. And listen carefully. We cannot stick our head in the sand as a church. We've got to address this, and we've got to be able to provide a solution to what is going on, because God is the only answer. Proverbs 14.34 says this, Righteousness exalts a nation but sin is a disgrace to any people. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. So what are the three steps that lead to God's abandoning wrath? Number one is revelation. God reveals himself in four ways. Creation, conscience, the Bible, Jesus Christ. That revelation leads to rejection. People say no to God, they reject his truth, and then finally, God relinquishes. He takes his protective hand off that nation, and when God takes his hand off that nation, here's what you're going to see. Ingratitude, ignorance, morally and spiritually, idolatry, they won't worship God, then there's immorality, heterosexual sex, homosexual sex, indecency, and then finally, incorrigibility. You say, well, Mike, I was hoping to be uplifted this morning. Listen, there's hope. There's hope. We're celebrating the fourth. What can the church do about this? Now, are you listening? Say amen. amen. The church in America is asleep. We're asleep. You know why? Because we're too comfortable. We're comfortable with our prosperity. We're comfortable in our Christian bungalows. And we forget what's going on. And listen, I know. When this nation reaches a fever pitch and God lets the hammer come down, a lot of Christians are going to say, well, I didn't see this coming. Why not? Listen, as I get older, this burdens me. You say, well, Mike, what can the church do? Let me give you some solutions. Number one, 
prayer and fasting. And I have to admit to you, I don't fast as much as I should. If I care about this country and I made a decision starting next week, I'm going to start fasting more for this nation. We've got to be praying and we've got to be fasting for this country, crying out for God's mercy. Because listen, you know what prosperity does? It blinds us to what is really going on in our country if we're not careful. Now, Marty mentioned it. In two weeks, July 16th, we're going to start praying corporately. Uh, Mary Ann has been leading the church corporately. Thank the Lord for her ministry. Once a month after second service, we pray there. We're going to also start at Sunday morning. 8.30 to 9, 30 minutes. Here in room, what is it, Marty, 118? 118. Here's what I'm challenging you to do, and I'm going to be there almost every week. Come once a month. I realize if you have kids, you can't do that if you're dealing with that. Come once a month if you can't come every week. Make a commitment to come every month and let's cry out to God. Not only for this church, but for this nation. You say, I hate the judgment going on in our culture. Listen, don't tell me you hate it if you're not willing to pray. That's the bottom line for me, and I'm preaching to myself. Secondly is purity. If, a, if the church in America is going to make an impact, we've got to be a pure people. Not a perfect people, but a pure people. And listen, when the world has gotten into the church and the church looks like the world, you know what? It lessens our influence. We're not making an impact. Thirdly, we've got to proclaim the gospel. What is the hope for this country? Listen, somebody gave you the gospel. The gospel came to you on its way to someone else. And you know what? If this is the culture where there's ingratitude, there is ignorance, there is immorality, there is indecency and incorrigibility, the only hope for this country is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what transforms a human life. And listen, we have that message. What are we doing with it? Now listen, share it in your own way. Everyone has different personalities. I'm not saying you have to do street evangelism. But here's what I'm saying. We have opportunity to give the good news of the gospel to this country, and we've got to make a decision to do that. And listen, as long as I'm here, this church will be a gospel-centered, outreach-focused church. We will reach this community for Christ. And listen, I am, not, I am not responsible to save people. That is not my job. My job is to get the seed of the gospel out, to sow it. Because listen, if you live in a culture that's very hard, that is not receptive to the gospel, many of them will turn it down. But listen, don't worry about that. That's not your responsibility. We have ABC cards. Grab them on the way out and make a goal. Once a month, I'm going to sow a seed into someone's life. Once a month, I'm going to come to corporate prayer. Start setting reasonable goals and watch what God does. Here's another thing. We need to preach the word. Listen, a lot of pulpits in America are not teaching the Word of God. We've got to get back to preaching the Word of God systematically. Listen, the whole counsel of God, whether it's popular, whether it's not popular, we've got to preach the Word of God. And then, of course, 
We need to have personal love for those in our culture. When I preach this message, I'm not preaching damnation in the sense of hatred. We got to preach the truth, but we got to love people. I was yesterday, I don't know what town it was, we went to Schneider's Donuts. You ever heard of them? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) They're actually pretty good. But we were in a town, and it seemed very much, you know, pro-gay and everything else, and I was in a coffee shop, and this guy was tatted up, and he had piercings everywhere. You could just tell. And, you know, I thought to myself, I said, Lord, you love him. You love him. We sometimes in the church have such hatred for the world that we forget that Jesus was a perfect balance of love and truth. And I want that in my life. I want to love the sinner. I don't care what state they're in. I don't care how ungodly they are. I speak the truth to them, but you know what? They sense love. Jesus did that. And you know what? The church has to do that. And then finally, political involvement. Now, let me say this to qualify. I'm not saying that we need to become politically focused to the point where we neglect the gospel. The focus is the gospel. But as Marty said this morning, we have a civic responsibility to get involved. We cannot decry the sins of our nation as Christians if we're not willing to put feet to our amens. If we're not willing to get involved and vote, if we're not willing to get involved in the cultural issues, now I realize there are those on the front line who are doing that, but listen, we can make a difference, and we need to take a stand. And so listen, is there hope for America? Absolutely. When God has taken off his restraints and he's abandoned America to its sin, does that mean God is done with America? God is not working in this country? No, to the contrary. God is working, but listen carefully. Are you listening? Say amen. Amen. If this nation does not turn around, the guillotine's going to fall. You say, Mike, what does that look like? I don't know. But I'll tell you this, our nation is imploding from the inside out, or from the outside in. We are imploding. And I know some of this is going to fit into prophecy. People have asked me, where in the Bible is America talked about? America is not talked about in the Old Testament. There's a lot of different reasons for that. One is because the prophets didn't deal with America at that time. They dealt with the geopolitical structures of that day. Some people believe when the rapture happens, America is going to totally implode and we're going to become irrelevant. Some even say God's going to wipe us off the map. I don't know. I do know this. We are headed towards a global reset. That is coming. And in one sense, things are not falling apart. Things are falling in place. Prophetically. But you know what that means? We have to do our part as a church. And so listen, let's be church on mission. Let's be what God has called us to be. Let's pray. Father, we humble ourselves before you this morning, Lord. This was a tough message. But Lord, without the hope of Jesus Christ, we would have nothing. And so, Father, we come before you this morning acknowledging as we celebrate another 4th of July, 
Father, we, we know our nation is in trouble. We know it from the political level to the moral and spiritual declension. God, I come before you and I confess the sins of our nation. I ask you to forgive us of our sin, our ingratitude, our ignorance, our immorality, our indecency, and our incorrigibility. Father, forgive us in this country for turning our backs on you. You have revealed yourself to us, and we are such a privileged nation. We have so much, and yet we have suppressed that information. We have turned our backs against you, and we have fallen into idolatry. Forgive us, Father. And Lord, forgive the church. The church in America is part of the problem. We decry the darkness and yet we have taken in the darkness. Father, we humble ourselves this morning. We ask you to forgive us. Forgive me. Forgive us as a church. Forgive the American church. And Father, I pray that you would turn this country around, that God, you would sweep this country with the revival before you return or before the rapture happens, that we would see another harvest. Oh God, we cry out to you. Forgive us. And God, I pray that you would use Northwest Chapel. We play a role in this. I pray that you would use us to be a beacon of light in this community. God, thank you that you are a God of hope, that you are a God of mercy, a God of grace, a God of forgiveness. And Father, we know that you can do it again in America. We know that you could turn this country around. But regardless of what happens, help us to be faithful. We thank you. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, let's stand together as we close in worship. And may you be the witness this week that God has called you to be. Don't forget, we got the ABC cards on the way out. God bless you. Have a good 4th of July with your family. And listen, be in prayer for our nation and our country. Next week, James chapter 2. What is true saving faith? How do you know you're saved? James chapter 2 is going to answer that question. Let's worship.